place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then a Canaanite woman from that region came and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, even the dogs eat crumbs that fall from the master's table. And then Jesus answered, A woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So today's story, to my ears, is perhaps one of the most shocking stories that we have about Jesus. It's one of the most difficult passages for me to reconcile. Usually Jesus is very welcoming and quick to embrace all who live on the fringes and come to him for help. And this story makes me, and perhaps it makes you to ask yourselves, did Jesus really speak so terrible to a desperate mother by referring to her as a dog? And if so, who is this Jesus I thought I understood? We might be tempted to rescue Jesus from this story a little bit. And what I mean is we might say, for example, well, Matthew was taking some literary license here to make a larger point. Or we might say Jesus was being witty or using irony to help us grasp a greater truth. We might say that Jesus was testing her faith to see if she believed as she stood. Yet what if we hold off rescuing Jesus from his words, just for a moment? What if we try to deal with Jesus by taking him at his word? What if Jesus meant to say exactly what he said? Now maybe for a bit of perspective, I realized this week as I thought about Jesus' life that he essentially lived his whole life in an area equivalent to what we know as the I-65 corridor of Kentucky. And that really is amazing when we consider who we say Christ was. You might think that the divine among us, this divine presence, God with us, Emmanuel, would have the power to travel across the world, the universe even. Not so. Jesus was, by all intents and purposes, a small-town guy. His whole ministry was contained in a small geographic and cultural area of the world. He lived his whole life among a religious and observant Jewish community. He and his disciples had been raised in a culture largely separated by race and gender and class, ethnicity and experience, and in many ways... The same is true for you and me. It made me realize that this week I've lived my whole life in an area of the I-65 corridor, much the same size that Jesus did. And most of my lived experiences are 
the same as many of you, not all of you, but many of you have lived and experienced much of what I have. Jesus went to the same temple. He took pilgrimage to the holy city. He studied with the same rabbis and synagogues as a child, and he was definitely part of this faith community fully. As it is with most of us who have lived our lives in familiar communities and at the churches where we all grew up. As it relates to the world or universe, our world really, our worldview really is rather narrow. Sure, we may travel broad and wide, but the communities that shaped us, well, they're quite small, actually. Of course, Jesus encountered foreigners in Galilee and in Jerusalem, as is the case in today's story. But his culture was one that had worked really hard, really hard not to be influenced by outside forces. Jewish laws and traditions were meant to uphold and, and keep a way of life, an understanding of God. And we can relate to that too, right? Even if they lived under Roman occupation, they had been able, for a, for a good extent, to continue their way of being. Now this woman was an outsider to this. She was a Gentile and a foreigner. And she would have been viewed as a defilement in some circles who said to get too close to her and counter people her is something to be avoided. Hence the tension of Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well. She's not one of us. Why is he doing such a, a risky thing here? Now this is just as prevalent idea for those of us who live in our own small places and nations and worlds. We place a high value on the places that give us our identity. And sometimes we do so vehemently because, well, we can be afraid that we don't want to be changed too much. We might lose our identity and the values that we place very high in our lives. We don't want to lose those. And when things come along that challenge that, we, we tend to hold on even tighter. So today's story provides a little bit of a problem for those of us who might cling too tightly might cling too tightly to our identities and our understandings and ideas as it relates to who has access to God's love and mercy. Because that's what this story is about. Jesus was acting, well, very much like an, an insider in this story. And he made it clear that she was not part of his circle. And when this Gentile woman keeps persisting and asking for help, well, the disciples are the first ones to get very uncomfortable. Jesus had ignored her at first, but the disciples, well, it bothered them that she kept being so loud, and they came to Jesus and asking him for help, and they tell him to get rid of her, dismiss her. So Jesus answered and, and seems to affirm when he says, well, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Well, this woman, it seems, she was close enough to hear and to see that they were talking about her, but they were not talking to her. Now, most of us might get the hint at such a point, whether well, talking about me but not to me, and, well, it's time to move on and walk away, not her. She decides instead to move closer. She decides to kneel in front of Jesus and say, Lord, help me. She would not be denied Jesus not answering her directly. Now, I'm as familiar with good old southern hospitality as many of you are. 
I knew how, and I have grown up in a way of, I can say the harshest words in the nicest way. But you don't have that here. Jesus does not seem very kind when he says he won't help her because she's not from around here. He dismisses her and said, it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Now he's likely referring to scriptures that, that justify dismissing one's enemies and to justify his rejection to say, well, this is what I must do because it's written. But the point is clear. And this moment poses that difficult question for us, for how we see Jesus, how we see the stranger, and how we speak of people inside or outside of our circles. David Livingston Smith wrote a book called Less Than Human because he wondered and he pondered how in the world can people, normal folks, do the unthinkable to fellow human beings in the world. He had seen the worst the world and the worst that humanity, humanity can do, and he wondered. He needed to answer that question. And the basic starting point of any kind of dehumanization, he says, are simply the words we say about people. He says that words act like a psychological lubricant, dissolving our inhibitions and inflaming our destructive passions. As such, and in the most extreme cases, it empowers us to perform acts that would, under other circumstances, be unthinkable. In short, he's making the point that words are more, more than tools for talking. Words reflect and shape our thinking about others. What are the words we use about others? And what does it say, what does it say about how we think and perceive maybe even ourselves. What are the words we use for ourselves and what does it teach us about who we are? Now we can wonder if Jesus' words reflect his ideas about her, but we have too much scholarship, in my opinion, about Jesus that helps us see that he likely did not see her this way. Yet, Jesus' words reveal what people thought about this woman in his circles in this day and time. And this foreign Gentile woman and her possessed daughter were to be avoided at all costs, and their faith told them so. But this story is about far more than being nice with our words. We can be nice but still reject or avoid those we deem outside our circles. This story, I believe, is about belong, a belonging in the kingdom of God. Who belongs? It's about what our words tell us about what we think about others. But it's also about what we see and who we see as in or out. And finally, perhaps, it tells us how we understand God. Every faith and religious community has, that has ever been has struggled with such questions about who receives mercy. Every nation and country struggles with it perpetually. And we ask and we argue questions like, who gets citizenship? Who gets an education? Who gets to be a member? Who gets to work? Who gets out of jail for a second chance and who doesn't? Who gets ordained? Who gets health or financial assistance? Who? Who belongs? And the number of movements and programs and organizations within and without the church work hard on these issues, and sometimes intensely against one another. 
We spend a lot of energy and resources trying to decide who is in and who is out. And in the process, we can lose our friendships. We can lose our religion at times. And we can say the darndest things, even as Christians. Maybe that's why I think today's story feels so important that we wrestle with it. Now, I have often wished Matthew would have given us a name for her. But perhaps it works to our advantage that he does not. And I say this because, in truth, aren't we all this desperate woman today? If we can ever fully separate ourselves from our own geographic places and our own upbringings and cultures and values for a moment, and if we can think of ourselves first and foremost as primarily members of God's kingdom, aren't we all outsiders? Have any of us done anything to deserve citizenship in God's kingdom or mercy that we have received? Don't we say that it is by grace alone that God receives us, that we obtain that citizenship of heaven that the epistles tell us about? However we want to resolve the troubling words of Jesus, what seems more important is to grasp just how far-reaching Jesus' ministry of grace is becoming here. Maybe not even Jesus understood how far and wide God's family was about to get. But somehow this woman did understand this. Maybe she had heard Jesus talking about such things from a distance before and said, Even me, Lord? <laughs> Dare she believe him? What well, she seems to have. The diversity of God's kingdom and kingdom, it challenges our understanding of God. It did then and it does today. Is it possible that this story is here because it teaches us how to take a second look, to have a second thought, if you will, about how we understand God and one another? Is it possible that this story is here to tell us that we don't have the full concept just yet? Is it possible that it's here to show us what it looks like to change our words and our ways of thinking about the stranger? We do not have insight to God's mind and Jesus' inner thoughts, but we do, we do have insight to our own. And today's story is a reminder that we consistently look, that if we will consistently look within ourselves, if we can name our biases and our, sometimes our prejudices and begin to think and speak in a way that glorifies the kingdom, expands our circles, and brings about this new creation that was Christ Jesus, something powerful is taking place in our midst. This story is no less powerful than the creation of the universe. It is part of the same creating force. It challenges our localized religious and human experiences, and it carries us light years beyond our own understandings of who belongs, deserves mercy, and who God is. So what grace might this story bring for you and me? How can we take part in this creative force that's making a more diverse and merciful and welcoming community? How can we take part in expanding this community of faith? I said earlier that Jesus and the disciples and we often live and minister in very limited places of race, our culture, our experience. So it seems then that we will need to step outside ourselves more often. I came across a good fishing story a few years ago. 
I like good fishing stories. This one was about a father and son, and they had planned to go fishing one afternoon. His father worked construction, and the construction site was a good way from home, but near the construction site was a wonderful lake that offered good fishing. So the child needed to go to work with him that day and, and wait till his work day was over. So they loaded up their fishing gear in the work truck, and the young man was very excited all day long. He got up earlier than ever. But what the young child had not anticipated was just how long a work day really was. And he kept thinking about that lake while his father worked. And minutes seemed like hours. And very soon he lost his patience and he kept asking his dad, how much longer? And then he looked out into the parking lot of the working site. And he saw a puddle. He said, well, that's not a lake, but I can still go fishing in that puddle. So he gets his gear, his pole, and his tackle box, and he throws a line into the middle of that puddle. His dad walked by, puzzled, and asked him, what in the world are you doing? And he said, well, I'm fishing. His dad scratched his head, and he started to laugh. He said, son, you can't catch fish in a puddle. So it can be with us sometimes, church. We will never take part in the expanding our growing kingdom of God if we fish only in the puddles of our own places, our own people, our own ways of understanding. We must be welcome and be exposed to those who need to know that God's mercy and love is for them as much as it is for us. And there are times that I come to realize how little time I, as a pastor, spend with people who are not part of the church. There are some days it feels like I'm fishing in puddles. Maybe you can relate to that. If we want to see just how diverse God's kingdom really is, if we want to expand our ideas about God, we can't fish in puddles where everyone looks the same or thinks the same or experiences life the same. God does work within us, but God does work out there in ways that we have yet to discover. Think about how often Jesus was sitting down with people like they called lepers or sinners or cheaters. And think about how often Jesus is talking to such folks, well, made good religious folks unhappy or uncomfortable. Think about how often Jesus set aside religious laws in order to show mercy each time Jesus is criticized for it. And there's little doubt that people around Jesus on this day were less shocked he referred to this woman as a dog than they were shocked that his, this Gentile's faith had healed her daughter. This way of community and fellowship grew. Eventually, Christian communities in, around the world would spring up. And it began in Roman, Jewish, and Gentile areas at first, and then around the globe. And this kind of cross-cultural movement was unheard of. People from different places, from different experiences, acting like brothers and sisters. What is this all about? But be careful not to think of this too nostalgically. When God's kingdom grows to include people who don't look or live or think alike, well, it makes us uncomfortable. Persecutions happened because they were welcoming the stranger, caring for the sick, and giving power to the poor and the oppressed, and, and associating with sinners. Not everyone agrees that God's mercy is for everybody. 
The church and the kingdom of God grows by sharing life. It grows by making friends with those we once called strangers, allies with those we once called enemies. And our spiritual vision increases when we participate in this ever-expanding family of God. Jesus' ministry teaches us that, that we want to grow. If we want to grow as a church or we want to grow in the kingdom, we best be ready to open doors wider than we ever imagined. We best be ready to have our assumptions disrupted from time to time, but in order for something greater. Lewis F. Galloway writes this. He says, Disciples of Jesus learn and grow when they brush up against people whose lives, needs, dreams, and struggles are different than their own. The effects of such a relationship is like the effects of sandpaper on a piece of rough wood. It smooths out the undisciplined edges of life and makes God's followers serviceable for some new purpose. Today, the invitation to follow Christ is to take a second look, to have a second thought from time to time. Be willing to be changed. Be willing to let your enemy, your, the desperate, the oppressed, the stranger, help you see a bit more of what God's kingdom is becoming. Not all of us, not one of us will enter the kingdom of God without mercy and grace. And perhaps it all begins in offering words of kindness, words to the stranger, words to one another, and words to ourselves that say, you belong, you are beloved child of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.